It's Sunday, March 8th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 539 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Morning time for this episode is 47 minutes. All right, so the prosecution has spoken at length. So I want to move to the middle position, and then I'm going to move to Dale. Chad, mm-hmm. why don't you care? Because I think your reasoning is totally valid. It's so not- I've, been, I've been sitting here for, I don't know, 47 minutes, I guess. I can't quite see. Listening to you guys and kind has of... Has it really been that long already? Yeah. Throwing well, in 10 like, or 15 minutes for announcements. So more yeah. like a half hour. But yes, go yeah. on. So, and I've been throwing in the odd joke here and there. And what you guys are arguing about... Totally valid, you know, on on all sides. And I'm not just taking like a centrist view of it here or like a a neutral view of it here. You know, I I don't really think anybody's wrong. I think everybody's making good arguments and points. It's just arguments and points of things that I don't really care about too much in a game. You guys are talking about numbers, balance, everyone showing up to combat. And this guy from the Splat book makes everyone useless. I'm getting overwhelmed by the amount of content getting thrown at me. Why do we have to do this, this, and this? I hear Dale say, well, I would play a gnome, or I would play this tree spirit or something. I forget exactly what you said. Yeah, yeah, you know, all these different stuff. And for me, I have two basic thoughts. What is it that Dale wants? Yeah, I mean, you said it yourself, you want, to, yeah. you want to play something new. You want to play yeah. something different. Absolutely. My second question here is not one of balance or splat books. My question is, why do we need a product? Why don't we just say Dale is now playing this? I don't care if D&D is balanced because D&D is not balanced. Yes. I would care if ba- Battletech is balanced because there are two layers of the game, right? Yeah. There, there's the, we're role-playing, we make right. good characters and that sort of thing. But then there's also, we're kind of, sort of, in a way, putting that on pause and we're getting out minis and models and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I want that aspect to be balanced, absolutely. What but, about the other aspect of the setting standpoint? Cat people don't exist. Now he's playing a cat person. Cat Great. people now exist. Fantastic. I run games that have collaborative worlds. I do not try to run games where it is my monolithic world. Dale comes at me and says, I want to play a cat person. I don't care if that thought erupted from his mind or if it was from a book he bought in 1982. I don't care. He wants that. And it is within reason and acceptable. I mean, we're not talking about, oh, we're playing superheroes and we're playing like, you know, the shoveler and stuff. And he comes in wanting to play Brainiac. You know, it's <laughs> there is a pendulum here. There, there are extremes. I'm not just completely laissez-faire. But, you know, you want to play a tree person or a cat person and we're all playing D&D. Then, yeah, great. My question is not. Show me the stats and is that balance and show me the book you're doing. And I don't know if I want to do that because I don't want to read the book. My question is, great. You're now the cat person expert. We've done this brainstorming about the world, our session zero. We're talking about world building. Sure. How does your cat people, not your character, your cat people, mm-hmm. how does that fit into this world we've made? Absolutely. You tell me. And then Dale expands on that. Right. And the more... Dale expands on that from himself and less from a book, the more kind of kudos I give him. But if it all comes from a book, that's fine, too, if it's a good idea. I'm here about ideas. I don't care about numbers. Well, now, that type of openness and willingness to allow something like that into your game is something that I'm like, oh, thank you. 
You're it's just like a breath of fresh air to, compared to, you know, like these two gentlemen here. Or <laughs> just like, oh, come on. Can I just please play now, something other than an elf? Because again? I am the, uh, again, I don't want to take a centrist sort of neutral position. I will say my games, though, are different than Dan and Wayne's. Sure. My games are more, and I said this on Big 20, and I felt like an asshole saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is as pretentious as fuck. My games are more like art. Their games are more like science. Both are good. They're just different. Their games have structure. Their games have a route, a path. Their, their games are gears that interconnect and work together, and it's great. I just love being in those games. Man, I've got him fooled. My games, on the other hand, are more about taking risks, trying really risky ideas, failing a lot with these risks, because if they're guaranteed to succeed, that's not actually a risk. I'm temperamental. I'm bitchy. I throw temper tantrums. I get upset about ideas. So, yeah, you know, I don't feel like doing a game whereas these guys can take their notes and their ideas and stuff and run through a good solid game sure so there are advantages and disadvantages yeah i'm really open to ideas sure you're also the one that'll bring the completely out of the box character idea too yes Mm -hmm. more than anyone i've ever played with you're the person that will come up with everyone is playing this I've got this thing oh. that is way over here yeah. right. that I'm coming in with. I, I was going to say, I, I and I ask permission to play it. Yes. I don't sideline anyone. Style of GMing. I mean, yeah, it is very much about concepts and ideas, as mm-hmm. you said. I think it would be very hard for me to break one of your games with splat mm-hmm. for the yep. simple reason that that's not really what you cared about or were going for in the first place. You know, your style of GMing, and this is totally valid. Everyone gets to game how they want. Mm-hmm. If you think Chad is wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> and the reason for that is not because Chad's right, but because you're both right. Mm-hmm. It's because you get to game how you want. You only fail a role-playing game by not having fun. And if that's the style of game that Chad wants to run, you know, not my kind of fun. But, well, I take that back. I've played Chad's games <laughs> yeah. and love many of them. Yeah. So running that, it isn't your Yeah, running, running it is on my... Yeah. I, I can't just throw out ideas and let people throw ideas at me mm-hmm. and just kind of see where this blob of colors ends Cause up. Because you're constructing a building. Yeah. Which is great. So, and it's solid. I have a river. My river is flowing. Dale's talking about taking a bucket but, and throwing it on your sandcastle. I will absolutely say, though, with the people playing under you, mm-hmm. if I had brought Gnarl into the picture and he was wildly out of balance, oh, Pat would have yeah. given yeah. us a litter of kittens. Well, <laughs> and in your last 5th edition game, you were looking in the book and doing like CR ratings oh, yeah, and things, absolutely. which kind of yeah. goes to one of my next points is why yeah. do you need to Bring in a whole new book I, I when you really can just see our ratings. That's kind of just cheating. I know. But I was making numbers up. <laughs> I know. But you were also looking at things that already existed in the book. Sure. Just putting new things over. Yeah. Why can't someone do that? I want to play a different race that isn't this one. File the numbers off of that. Yeah. And Dale, now it is this. So, so the example yeah. is Dale wants to play a cat person from his book, Splat Book from 1982. Yeah. Here's oh, a really it, agile race right. that's in the core book this is now a cat person so we're going to take an elf rogue with a dagger specialty and give them dark vision well i guess they already have dark vision 
and call them a cat. They're furry and not an elf anymore. We're just changing yeah. the trappings. That seems easier to me than bringing in a whole other book full of content. But you see, the thing is, is that do you need to bring in the whole book full of content, or can you just bring in this one paragraph that has the stats? Well, and let me add one other thing, which is going to be my handover to Dale, which is I think I have two issues. The first one I've already stated ad nauseum, which mm-hmm. is I don't trust the books. But the second one, which I hinted around in my own bit of mea culpa, was that a lot of times the issue is I don't trust the player to self-regulate. When and that's fair. Yeah, when people came at me and said, we're going to play splat stuff out of Sword and Fist, and they never took a look at this. Like, yeah, you know what? This really is game-breaking. Yeah. Whereas with my Noel and my Waymick, I did my own homework to prove to both myself first, and then I showed my work to the GMs and said, okay, this is why I didn't my... read any of his work. Well, no, you did. <laughs> Mary did, but yeah, Mary did. Cause but, Mary's a good game master. But <laughs> yeah, she is. She's a great game master, yeah. but I showed and proved yeah. that what I was doing was not out of line with what's already in the game. And, you know, and I think this is because I game master so much. Right. I'm used to looking at the balance and being so, well, chafed by a lack of balance that I don't want to th- do it to other people. Here's the thing, Dan. Here's what the, I'm going to tell you about you. Okay, okay no, this would be great. Uh, Horoscope does it every day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have said in the past many, many times, both for you as a player and you as a game master, that you have abused game master syndrome. You played under some really terrible groups that abused it. Oh, yeah. And guess what? I was part of some of those groups. I was one of the abusers, as it were. And so I think your fundamental... I'm going to tell you what your problem is. Your fundamental problem here with splat books is not the splat book. Because all these examples you've been giving that I've been listening to, you've been actually praising splat books. Your Noel character, not from a splat book, but everything you did, all the work you did, you might as well have written... A splat book. That is why, jokes aside, I really do intend to make Gnarl Knowles knows Knowles at some point in the future. Bim's character, great. And you talked about how you were able to give him these magic items and work with him and do all this stuff and do all this stuff. The problem for you, this is not the problem for Wayne, right. by, by the way. This is the problem for you, is not the splat books. I think splat books would work great for you, Dan. The problem is that you had too many people in your past take the splat book, take a pair of scissors, carve out the shape of a bludgeon, glue it together prison style, and then start beating you over the head with it. That's not false. Yeah. 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 I mean, because these were people who were good at the math and good at the balance insofar as they knew how to abuse it. Yes. My problem, Mm -hmm. I know what my problem is here, it's information overload. Right. If we were looking at a game where I know the setting Mm -hmm. so well and I understand all the mechanics... I would probably be a lot more open if we were talking about playing like in a Marvel superhero mm-hmm. universe where I know all these little aspects of the world. I would probably be a lot more open to it. I don't know fantasy. Right. I never read fantasy You're books. Sci-fi guy. Sure. Yeah, sure. I never read fantasy books. I never got into sure. anything fantasy wise. It's not my preferred genre at all. I just like the game of D and D fifth edition. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, fantasy as it is. Is kind of daunting. Yeah. I don't have, you know, what are elves? What are their society? I know that from very few little fantasy things. Mm-hmm. So all of these other things brought in are things that I don't know anything about. 
So I have to go learn about them because if you bring it to my game, I want to make it interesting for you. Right. And I want to make a good game. And if I feel like I'm being overwhelmed by information, I don't feel like I can present a good game. Yeah. It's not mechanical balance. Let's face it. I'm going to roll poorly, and you guys are going <laughs> to tell me to fudge my rolls anyway. Right. And I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to give you the real challenge that you need anyway. I think that if in this imaginary scenario where Dale wants to play this cat person from his book from 1982, and he went to Wayne and we said... I was four? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, it had a cool cover. But you go to Wayne and you're like, hey, can I do this? I do not believe you, Wayne, would say, oh, my God, a splat book. How dare you? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. We would have he, the conversation. He, he would and I would let it happen. Now, okay. where Wayne's problem that I, again, I'm going to tell you your problem yep. again. Where Wayne's problem would come in is that you've got you and you've got me. I just put my hand on my chest and I, said I you, and then I reached out to you and said me. Okay, so we have you and we have me and we have Dawn and we have Larry and we have Laura and then we have 20 other people and then all of us say, hey Wayne, I got this splat book I got from this creepy satanic bookstore in 1982. Yep, and if and, I just say these are the books I allow and someone comes to me, I'm going to be reasonable and negotiate. But if I just say that, most people won't come to me with that. Wayne makes these wonderful games. He's a great game master. And his games, even though he self-deprecates, they do have really good structure to them. The thing I've noticed about Wayne's games is that when he's coming in, and I don't know if this is like how you manage some things about yourself or whatnot. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Wayne establishes a base to which he builds his structure upon. Does that like make sense? A yes. Bit? Yeah. So very true for me. Wayne saying we are playing. Well, he does not declare this, but it, yeah. here's my pitch. D and D this edition with these core books, but not this race. But here is the sort of story and the feel. And the th you know, go back to the pitch session. Mm -hmm. Listen to Wayne's different pitches. They leave a lot of room open for all the players to be in, but they establish theme, they establish tone, they establish rules. It builds the base upon which you construct your building. Dan does not do that. Dan's building that he constructs is the rigidity. It is the structure that he, he creates. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to set out the... Because when we ask him stuff like... I designed the entire building based on the... the the, the structure foundation, the and structure. what everyone is bringing to construct the building with. Right. Sure. Dan, on the other hand, he has his building, his structure that he has. Mm -hmm. And then we go to him like, well, Dan, what kind of game do you want? And he says to us, it doesn't matter to me. And I can say, work with anything. Fucking liar. That's not what I asked. I know. <laughs> yeah. I 100% guilty. Yeah. No, I can work with anything, guys. Right. So and and so we force him to make a little bit of a base, but that does not belie the point that Dan does not build a building on a base. His building is so structured to begin with. Chad mm -hmm. one time it. tried to build the base. <laughs> it didn't work out well, and it was because Chad never does this. Mm -hmm. So the one time he sat down and said, "I'd like to run a game where everyone is a dwarf." Mm -hmm. Immediately, <laughs> I think all Everyone the players bolts. except for me right. didn't want to be a dwarf. Yeah, the, no dwarfs in the dwarf game. I, I think the reason for me doing that mm -hmm. is because 
I don't typically really care how the game starts. Mm -hmm. And so you guys being whatever from wherever doing whatever, I can still construct a decent opening scene. Is it a comedy? Your building fits in comedy? Is it dark? Is it mysterious? Is it dramatic? I'm already thinking about where the game will go, the middle and end of it. I am the complete opposite. And when we get past that first mark... And we're a third of the way into the game, and it's not even vaguely where I wanted it to be for the type of story I wanted to tell. Then it's like, I mean, I really didn't care what you guys were playing. But the problem is you didn't go even vaguely. And I'm not railroady, but you're not even in the zip code. We said comedy, and then we went grimdark. You pulled your comedy building off your shelf. Yeah. And then now we're going grimdark. It's usually the other way around. Well, I I mean, yeah, usually, I tell you, one of my banes is merchants. Because... I, I run these games where it's like, you can be whatever you want. And for some reason, mm-hmm. a lot of times people gravitate towards where they want to be some form of merchant. Mm-hmm. And the first time I throw a plot point at them that's about, you know, interesting, cool stuff, they're like, yeah, well, we're a uh, risk and profit <laughs> sort of motivated you know, organization here. Uh, you like having the Chasing sto- the plot sounds very, uh, you know... That sounds very risky and not very profitable, right. so bye. Yeah. You like having the story option of a chain of command where somebody can come down and motivate know. the players to exactly. do the thing. Well, or, not give a command necessarily, but somebody higher than you that you have to report to. You know, even, that can influence. Even if not that, it's I think to me that's an emergency valve. Yeah, that's for something I when don't, players aren't doing it on their own. Right. That's if something I, I don't ever do in my game. Mm-hmm. Because I realize as you're talking, I'm the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of here's where everything starts. I have no clue where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not working out the end of it. It's all organically growing from where it yeah. starts. Because Dan, like I said, we initiate comedy, grimdark. We want sci-fi. We do this. We're merchants. We're mercenary. Whatever. Doesn't matter. And then Dan goes to his shelf and he pulls the grimdark building off the shelf. Now, that does not mean I'm not saying with that metaphor that. That is the one story, because this is not a story thing. This is not story characters plot. Right. This is thematic structure within storytelling yeah. that Dan takes off the shelf. Whereas you, you do not have a shelf of buildings. It's not your style, but you must build the base and then you build the structure up. Yeah. And I tend, like I, said, I very much tend to not have my players be part of an organization because right. I like them being out there and making all their own decisions. I don't want them to have to report back. Right. I've pitched an idea where they would, but I've never actually run a game where there was a command chain for yeah, them to report back Well, I mean, back and to. I'm not, uh, just to be clear here, that's not something that I need per se. I mean, the current Skies of Glass game. It's just oh, a, no, it's a only, tool. It's a tool talking tool preference. Yeah. yeah. You guys, at no point in this game, and at neither arc of this game, the first round of characters or the second, have had a chain of command. And Skies of Glass is a different game from others that I've played under you. I don't think we've ever had one in a Skies of Glass game, but say Epoch of Rysos, Battletech, things like that, that's something that I know that you as a GM, you want that in place. If we say we don't want that, then you won't force it on us. Right. But your preference would be that it's there. Well, and even preference side, GMs have a toolbox, and inside the toolbox are a bunch of different tools. This tool is one that you are very good with. Yeah. You know, and it's a very well-crafted tool. So that's how I see it. That's a great way to put it. That's Mm -hmm. one I'm not, I I haven't developed that tool. Yeah. That tool is in your toolbox, but it's on the bottom. It's dusty and you kind of maybe need to read the manual on how to use it. And Dale, 
You run great games, but I've only been in like three, so I cannot give yeah, you so, my right. my analysis. All right, so we're gonna yeah. we're gonna pass this to Dale now, and it looks like this is gonna be a two parter. And Dale, I wanted you to start with two particular questions, but then you're all free right. to go willy nilly anywhere you want. Okay. But the two questions is one: What is your particular interest in splat material as a player? Okay. And two: Would you accept it from other people? As a GM, and if so, with what structures? So if I came to your game with a splat book you're not familiar with, mm-hmm. would you allow it or not, and why? And I realize you have the added angle of also you publish this. Sure. And I, we're going to get to that, because that is one I definitely want to hear about. But let's start with you as a player, you as a GM. Okay. Me as a player, like I said earlier, I had many a Saturday where I would just grab a supplement and lie on my couch and just spend the whole day reading it and basically imagining all the characters I could come up with that uh, that lived in that region that it was talking about or that had some adventure with some uh, ability that was uh, that was described in the book and it was just just that alone was fun as hell for me that was my escape especially whenever i didn't have a game now that i do have a game on a very regular basis now i have the chance to play all those characters that i really want to play core rule books tend to be very dry they tend to be here's the big book of system and not a whole lot to inspire the imagination while then you got to go buy uh, a supplement that can describe all of the setting or some aspect of the setting or something about the setting that can just fire your imagination. And suddenly that splat book becomes far more valuable to me than the core rule book. I'll just sit there and just read that and just devour that the way some people devour comics. That's an interesting aspect of, I typically just throw the setting out. I use the mechanics and I throw whatever setting it is out. That's not always the case Mm -hmm. because like, with Necessary Evil, I took a lot of the setting out of that book because I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Dresden. I'm not going to say I take the setting out of the Dresden uh, role-playing game book. I take the setting out of the novels that sure. they're based on. But it's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. But like when I'm running D&D, I don't pay any attention to the setting. I throw all of that out. In the D&D core rulebook and in Pathfinder, there essentially is no setting. Well, they call it like an implied setting. Yeah. Well, That's about it. Yeah. And for me, I'm fine with that because I, what I want to bring to a game a lot mm-hmm. of times is the world and the setting and creating it with the players. Right. That's one of the reasons that for me, a lot of the Splat books, I can't see myself buying a lot of the ones that are setting books. Sure. Because I just wouldn't use them. I love collaborative world building that Mm -hmm. really gets me going even in an established setting i love the concept of people becoming the sort of meta subject matter expert sure for an aspect of this world that they have created and we've created together so you're saying a lot of the reason you like this is one it's more flavorful yes and two because of the fact that the main book has to accomplish many things, much of which are setting the boundaries of the game, the mm-hmm. rules, character creation. These can be front to back 300 pages of yeah. fluff, and so they also are very inspiring yes. they, because they don't have to accomplish what the main rule book was saddled with accomplishing. Precisely. Okay. Yeah. So, I think definitely modern books are getting better about that. When I look at some of the books... Outside of, say, d and mm-hmm. like the Dresden Files has yeah. so much in it that is flavor and all of that. I look at a lot of the Apocalypse games, like 
Blades in the Dark, mm. Monster Heart. There's a lot more of that that you didn't necessarily get in some of the older systems. Okay, well, there's a good reason for that is because every publisher that isn't D&D or Pathfinder or one of the major ones, they know they're going to sell one book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have to yeah. include everything in it that they're going to sell. No, that's a very good point. They'll make some supplements, sure, but they know it's not going to sell anywhere near the quantity that the core rule book is going to sell. And in fact, most people aren't even going to be able to find the, the supplement book if they can find the coral book in a game store they're almost never going to find the supplements in a game store yeah, yeah. i mean that's mm-hmm. something i struggle with a lot of the games that i've wanted to buy i will try a couple of stores first we have a local chain called vstock it's got a used bookstore component in it i found a lot of really good game systems there that i've gotten cheaper but i do a lot of going to amazon or going directly to the publisher and buying mm-hmm. it from the publisher. Sure. Because you can't and, find it in the well, store. As a publisher, thank you. Well, to, to your, on behalf of all other publishers yeah. out there, thank you. To your point, I mean, look at Burning Wheel. Remember when Burning Wheel came out and we interviewed Luke Crane, right? Yeah. 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 And we interviewed Luke Crane. I mean, Burning Wheel was the game. It, yeah. it, it, it People got rid of parts of their role-playing library because they didn't need anything else but Burning Wheel. And then they had the, what were their burners i think that their fans were called or maybe that was what the supplements or their adventures were called or whatever and it was like that was it i don't think you can even buy a new copy of burning wheel anymore it might still be available on drive through rpg but yeah. that's about it yeah nothing against burning wheel but it's an example of that of it's gonna hit it's gonna hit hard and then people are gonna move on yeah. even a popular book i recently got you know the newest version of savage worlds right mm-hmm. I went to three game stores before I found a copy of it. You know, I could have ordered it online, but, you know, I hit a couple of game stores, and this is a new, fairly current game, and you can't find it in most well, stores. I like what Savage Worlds does. It isn't about splat books. You're not going to necessarily... I mean, somebody's probably going to prove me wrong here, but you're not going to find, like, Sword and Fist of Savage Worlds or whatever. But you will find a totally different game, like Deadlands or something. It's like... You have everything you need in one book for mm-hmm. a lot of these, for the Burning Wheels and the Blades in the Dark and the Savage Worlds and all that. But then you get these remixes nowadays. It's not about splat books, except for like D&D and Pathfinder and stuff. Oh, there are a lot of them for Savage Worlds. No. Things like... I don't s- care about Savage Worlds. It sucks. The super- <laughs> I look at the Superhero Compendium. They yeah. don't have the new one out. That isn't a setting book or anything. It's yeah. the core Savage World system doesn't have what you need to run a big superhero game. You can run a really low-powered one, but it doesn't have the mechanics. It says right in the book, this system is not designed to do those. This supplement does right. it. And that's one that I do because it's not multiple supplements. This well, is the superhero it, system that you're putting on top of the generic see, system. It, to me, mm-hmm. that's really interesting because, like I said, it, it isn't about making gnomes more powerful by giving them their own gnome book. It is about remixing the content or expanding upon the content although i guess the argument can be made that a gnome book does that too but the whole idea like blades in the dark you know they have their forge in the dark thing so you have blades against darkness you have i mean it's a totally different game right savage worlds again you have deadlands totally different game with tweaked different rules for Savage Worlds. Fate is another one. I think they do Atomic Robo. They definitely do Dresden. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are those splat books? Or they they remixes and expansions on the concept? Personally, I like that. So, let's go back to Dale's 
arguments here for why, as a player, he wants the stuff. Sure. Give me any game that is pretty generic with the setting. At least most people are familiar with it. So this could be Star Wars, Star Trek, D&D, whatever. Just name sure. one off the top of your head. Let's go Star Wars. Why okay, not? we're going to go Star Wars. All right. Now, I want you to sell me on a race-class combination that does not, to the best of your knowledge, appear in the core rule books. We're going to do a little exercise here. We're going to role-play about role-playing. Okay. Let's pretend I'm running a Star Wars game. Okay, and that's kind of hard. Because, you know, do you want to pick a different game? Yeah, let's pick something All right, pick else. a different game. All right. Do the other Star Wars. Star Trek. Oh, <laughs> I just Star- wanted to see that look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I could give you ones for Star Trek. Oh, go for it. Go okay. ahead. I had one for Star Trek. Of I, I wanted to play a trill, but it was in an era where, setting-wise... The Trill had not really joined the Federation. Yeah, they hadn't come out. So what I worked with the GM with was he was going to be somebody that they had basically sent out Mm -hmm. as a test to see what is the Federation like. Do we want to? So the Federation didn't know that he had a a symbiote inside of it. So you couldn't do transporters. So for like Enterprise, for example, you were like the Vulcan that was on Enterprise. Okay. And I'm going to accept they knew that that was a Vulcan. Okay. Uh, so you're so okay. you're playing a trill that's undercover. Okay, so trill for anyone doesn't know what that is. Undercover, undercover trill. trill. <laughs> nice. Seriously, yeah. I thought that exact same thing. They uh, the trill are Does a, he have a like a fedora and a trench coat? Yes. Excellent. The trill are a and the symbiote does. The symbiote the guy does. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 describe them as symbiotic. I had some trouble not seeing them as parasitic. But the trill are basically a smaller organism, it's kind of slug-like thing, that goes into the bodies of people. And they keep saying they share minds, but it always seemed like the trill was the dominant mind. Yep. And- there is a race of hosts, but the moment they're joined, the host gets all of the memories of the previous one, and that seems to always overwhelm it. There are personality differences in things, but yeah. it's more like, the long-term trill is being influenced by the body it's in than it is a true symbiotic Yeah, I was going to say, like I said, it really struck me as more parasitic because the a lot carries over between host yep. changes, and the host kind of gets a raw deal because they end up with, like, a shortened lifespan and all this crap or something like that. I don't remember. They, I, It's been a while, but they... Yeah, they joined the Federation during the Next Generation era, so playing a trill previous to that they're not well, maybe they well, have a no. longer lifespan whatever but, but the point being i remember the host got some raw deals so okay you want to play a trill sure all right that's undercover and i want you to give me a role on the starship that's not one of the traditional main character bridge roles okay so how about uh like a harry mud tape character let's go for that something like hmm. that okay so you're riding along on the starship and you're Basically, a swindler or a black market dealer, yeah, or something, something like that. to that effect. Sure. Okay, and you are secretly a trill. Okay, so an undercover trill, an undercover yep. trill with a trench coat and a fedora. Yes, on the trill, we've accepted this. Excellent. On the trill, yes, which is why nobody knows. It's there. Nobody knows they couldn't yeah. be undercover otherwise. Right. Yeah, All right. No, and instantly. you can't transport because the transporter would detect that there's another life form inside you. All sure, right. and it would give you away. Absolutely. So I want you, and let's say we are not running this in the later Star Trek. Where Trill... This is original series. Yeah, let's say this is original series or maybe the first six movies, you know, that era. But FASA era system, so there's no rules for it. So I want you to sell me on this. Okay. Pretend I'm running a game of Star Trek. This is what you want to play. 
and it's going to be original series and or the original six movies. So the Kirk Spock era of things. How are you going to sell this to me? Like, what, what's your pitch? And I want to hear how you're going to deal with some of my objections. Okay. So I want to play someone that's an outsider, you know, kind of someone along the lines of like a Wesley Crusher kind of uh, person where they don't see things. You've just got a hard no right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, knew, I, I knew if I threw that out. <laughs> I knew if I threw that out. I'd Why is it in no. my head instead of, okay, Boober, I have, okay, Chad. <laughs> when you said you want to play an outsider, a child would never play Wesley Crusher. No, true, really, no. It was the outsider. I would play, I would play undercover Trill, though. Yeah. All right. So you know I would because I pitched the idea. Oh yeah. All right. So let's try that again without the Wesley Crusher. <laughs> so you want to play an outsider? Okay. Go sure. On. I want to play an outsider. I don't want to play someone that answers to the chain of command, but I want to play someone that routinely works you know, with the crew. Sure, I've got my own uh, agenda, but it's not going to be to the detriment. Of the crew, I, I, I don't okay. want. I just don't want to have to be like I'm taking orders. I want to be someone who's going along, and also happens to be. Uh, so at that point in history, the Federation was very multiracial, but Starfleet was basically the space exploration branch of Earth. It was humans. Now, that later changes, and Starfleet becomes more closely intertwined with the Federation. But at that point in Star Trek history, the Federation and Starfleet were overlapping but rather distinct entities. So why not just play an Andorian who is a loyalist Andorian, just an attache to the crew, that's known, it's well-documented in the rules, and, and clearly fits into this era? Because I don't want to play an Andorian. I don't want to... <gasps> I don't want to be in. I don't want my character to be a part of the culture. You've I lost like, Chad now. Yep. <laughs> by the way, done. He I'll, loves the Andorians. I, I, and, uh, okay, in, 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 I would in, play in an per- Andorian in Dresden Files. <laughs> okay, <laughs> me personally, yes, I do. I'm just well, trying to make yeah, an argument. Is, here, a hypothetical. I'm argument. not even sure I'd have any issue with him playing a Trill in right. original series. This is just us pretending because yes. I want to see how you think this through. I don't want to. The culture of the whole thing, I don't really want to do that. Uh, for me personally, the character that I'm laying out to you speaks to me in in ways that playing an Andorian doesn't. Okay, so an Andorian has a fixed culture, whereas the Trill, especially depending on who they're symbioted with, could have more of an open culture. So, okay, I can accept that. Are you okay with sitting down together and writing the stats for this character and not using the ones you found on Star Trek splat.org. <laughs> sure. Now, w- would I then go Star Trek splat.org write down the stats and then like, okay, can we use this as a starting point? Um, I'm okay with that, but ultimately my goal here is to take the existing races that have been sat out. There's about a dozen or so that have been statted out within the Star Trek FASA role-playing game and get it within their ballpark. Okay, sure, but can we, instead of just taking Andorian and scratching that off and writing Trill, can we make modifications to it so it's more Trill-like? So this way, instead of, you know, like a bonus to diplomacy, for example, or it would be a bonus to a, some type of knowledge skill. To history. Yeah, to history. Thank it. you. Yeah, yes, exactly. I, that's yeah. fine. As long as it's a one-for-one swap, sure, both numerically and in terms of scope. So if you sure. want to swap out, like, Trivia and Dorian underwater baseball <laughs> for 
firing the phasers? The answer is no. <laughs> but if you just want to swap it out for trivia and Dorian Underwater Baseball and put it into the history specifically of whatever culture you've been They couldn't in. do underwater baseball because the water would be frozen, Dan. I know. I'm. <laughs> no, you don't, obviously. It also may shock you that I'm not aware of Star Trek Splat.org being a real site. <laughs> But Not yet, <laughs> yet. But all right. So okay. So yeah, I, the answer is yes. As long as we can, at least it doesn't have to be the same. Sure. I'm not going to. I'm not asking you to file off the serial numbers. But as long as we can at least show this character is roughly within the mathematical ballpark of the other races, I'm okay with this. That's fine. Okay. Now, what are you going to do about your transporter thing? That's that's a huge. See, to me, to interject from my throne of neutralism here. The transporter thing is way more game-breaking than any stats, numbers, right. splat books, or not. Well, let's go with it, because, I mean, I oftentimes see these outlying facts and splat book items where it's like, you seriously want me, like, 99% of this is fine, but that 1%, what are we going to do about that? I mean, we're playing Star Trek. We're playing OG Star Trek. We're teleporting 10 times a day. I get out of bed into a transporter and teleport down to breakfast. Yeah, well, dude, I'm totally of the metaphysical view that the first time you transport, you're dead. I'm uh, sitting same, on same the, here. I'm oh sitting goodness, on the bridge yes. of the Totally Not Enterprise, and I'm like, Totally Not Scotty, teleport me to the bitches. <laughs> <laughs> We're teleporting all the time. You're not undercover trail whom I love, by the way, is only going to not teleport in the first game. And then that's off the table. Everybody knows. And again, this has nothing to do with splat books or numbers or any of that. Scotty, how, how is that going to affect your character? Scotty, for standing by to get down and get funky. That's right. <laughs> so, okay, so let, let's, how we, what, what are we going to do about that? Okay, so, you know, I just have my own shuttlecraft that I can take somewhere. Yeah, you know, but the first time you're down on a mission and things really go sideways, a Klingon D7 shows up. I refuse to call it a Katinga. The Klingon <laughs> D7 shows up, and the Katinga was after the D7. That was the D7M. I don't know where Katinga came from, but it's crap. It's wrong. Wow. Yeah. I actually have a solution to Dale's problem. I, I do, too, because <laughs> wow. I've pitched this character, so I know what my All solution right. was. So, so, well, that's fine. You guys can help him. I don't care. Okay. So, well, for, first off, my first thought would be how many episodes of Star Trek was the problem with the shuttlecraft getting back to the Enterprise? How many times? The solution to your problem. Mm -hmm. We're part of the Federation, right? Federation is, and we have, Federation is utopian future. Yeah. yeah. The socio-super future here sure. where everybody's acceptable and there's no racism or any of the isms or anything like that. And everybody is cool with everybody and everything is accepted, which is actually not really a bad proposition. You're undercover trail. You can't go in a teleporter. Sure. It's against my religion. I believe the first time you teleport, you die. So I wouldn't go that far because... Oh, I'm already there. <laughs> right. I wouldn't go that far while pitching the idea, though. Uh, what I would point out, though, is there have been characters like Next Jim Pulaski, who has a phobia of transporters mm -hmm. and typically would use the shuttle. Mm -hmm. There are characters like Neelix, who has no problem teleporting, but had their own shuttle. Honestly, And what I would then pitch to the GM, because I did pitch this, when the inevitable happens, and I'm in injured, game three, probably <laughs> not going to be game three, because you're working with the Two. GM on this idea. Yeah. You're working with the GM on the idea eventually something's going to happen. You're going to get injured and have to be teleported back up. When that happens, now the doctor is in on it or 
The transporter is okay. in on it, so and it becomes that would be my, a plot point. That would be my counter pitch. Is it okay if you're undercover Trill in terms of what Trill are? I've got that song Undercover Lover going to my head but, now. But the, past, but the fact that you have something in you that, and we can pretend it's non-sapient, we can pretend it's non I made the deal that the doctor on the ship knew about it, but because of the well, you have a because of privacy, the doctor did not share with anyone because it was nothing. Well, that was or even there's someone back sure. at Starfleet where when they wrote up his personnel file and sent it over to the ship with a recommendation, said he comes from some BS society where they consider this to be a religious right to have one of these weird things in them. We're totally not telling you it's a sapient species, but you know it's there. And when you run them through the transporter, you just have to accept that that's part of their culture. Would you be okay with that as a solution? I'd work with that. Okay. And it's not broad knowledge. And mm-hmm. once it's just kind of on a need-to-know basis. Mm-hmm. But it's in your file of this one oddity biologically is there. You're not supposed to ask about it. And you've convinced me that this secret would last until game four now. And the <laughs> trill is never described as being the dominant party in a symbiotic relationship. Right. If yeah. the, the secret top. if the secret never comes out, then there's no point in playing the trill. Right. The whole point of wanting to play the undercover trill is to have at some point near the end of Isn't, the campaign I mean, no. the secret come out. I, I know some no. people and I've dealt with players where just being something unusual is yeah. a sell to them. Yeah. They don't want it to come out. They want it now I have seen people where it's like yeah, you're going to keep this under wraps for all 30 seconds. The one time I allowed somebody to play a Q who's totally never going to use his Q powers. <laughs> Let me tell you how many games that lasted. That was totally shame on me for allowing it. The sad thing is that is a character I would pitch with the understanding that if I ever use the powers, now I have to create a new character because right. they're going to come get that yeah, character. Yeah, Continuum's yep. going to drag you off, except for yep. the fact that, Wayne, I would trust you on two things. One, I would trust you to play that character... <laughs> to the best of your ability, and two, when the continuum came to drag you away, I would trust you wouldn't throw a table tantrum over right. the fact that we're doing exactly what we said we were going to do. Yep. Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the thing for me. If I create a character that has a secret, I'm creating that for the story to eventually come out, because mm-hmm. sure. if I have a secret, I want to explore how the character's going to react when the secret is revealed. Well, I think secrets are great. I think undercover trills teleporter thing too easy to trip. And the problem again is not the fact that you have a secret. It's not the right. fact that it's undercover trill. It's not the fact that it's teleporters. It's the fact that the secret to be good needs to bake a little bit in a story. Right. And to me as a game master, I want to be in on the secret and that's great. It's going to boil over before it bakes. You know, it's, well, it's going this to one may not be perfect because we just made this up on the spot. Sure. It's right. not one Dale's actually trying to defend. Okay. So, yeah. so, so let me let me do this the other direction now. Well, here, let me. T- I've got an example for you. Okay. Okay. The last time I played a halfling, I'll probably never play a halfling again because I love this character too much. Uh, he was a necromancer who hated necromancy. But they love feats because we have a splat book called the. <laughs> Halfling's Book of Feats. It's spelled F-E-E-T-S. I'm a genius. There's two chapters. <laughs> There's two the left and right. Left and right, right yeah. yeah. There's two chapters, and they're actually even 
Oh my god, there's a splat book for the splat book. It's pegs. Yeah, like the the, the peg legs. But yeah, the the book, you have one half that is actually in standard western orientation yeah. of page 1, page 2, page 3, but the second half of the book uh, is yeah, in an Asian out. orientation. Uh, where you actually start with the last page as page one, and, and then you keep turning backward it, in the book. It's so. like those children's books that are like cardboard, you know, thick cardboard instead of paper, and they have the texture over the pictures of the feet, so there's all different kind of fuzz and fur and fabric. Oh, I don't know. This and then there's the scratches feet. and stuff. Yeah, the scratches. <laughs> I mean, that's a given, yeah. right? <laughs> this whole feet book is really sounding totally shoehorned in. Totally. Well, yeah. and you know there's also going to yeah. be a subculture we're going to have to eventually pull exterminatus on that's going to be spanking it to this book. Uh, that's called profit, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If they're right. serving a need. If they're paying customers and they don't don't do it at my convention. Then. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I care. I mean, they might have to order a case of these books. Yeah. I mean, the primary existent art for Epoch of Rises right now is a R-rated pinup. So why not? Uh, okay. So, 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 so where are you going with are, this? Well, yes. Okay. So, so, so my, my half- Okay, so he's a halfling necromancer that hated necromancy. Uh, the character was fun and enjoyable, but the thing, the real thing that I loved about that character was years later, I actually figured out that the reason I made that character is because I hated my day job at the time. And of necromancy? It was a way for me to express something inside me you, that I didn't He didn't even deny realize. it was necromancy. <laughs> I am not commenting. Uh, <laughs> this is like asking people to speak German in Argentina what their ancestry is. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, whenever I come up with a concept, and I don't always know the reason for mm-hmm. the concept, but I want to play that concept. Sure. So that point in time, it was a halfling because I felt small in my job. Mm-hmm. And I played a necromancer because yes, that hated it because yes. I hated my day job, which, which has was? nothing to do with necromancy. Uh, That's uh, what a necromancer would say. It is. <laughs> They'd have some other way of describing it. Right. No, I actually did once, unrelated, but why not? I did once play a neutral, maybe it's even good-oriented necromancer, and the way that I spun it was that, because the school of necromancy has a lot more than creating undead. Right. And even with undead, he would only create them at the will of the undead. Meaning, like, if some guy died and wanted to avenge his family who was also killed, like, yeah, I would use, like, talk to dead or whatever, and he would tell me this, and then I'd bring him back as, like, you know, an undead in my service and until he was done with his task, which I wouldn't obstruct, and then I would release him back to the grave. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.